Hi, I'm Neil from the RuneQuest Project and welcome to Tales from the Black Alynx, a podcast series where we talk to the authors of Johnstown Compendium Publications. This evening I'm joined by one of the original contributors to the JC with his NPC compilation Rubble Runners. So without further ado, who are you and where are you? Hi there, I'm John Hunter and I'm over in the UK, just south of Manchester. Um, yeah, that's about it on that. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for popping along. So what's your history with RPGs? And maybe you can tell us how you first encountered um, RuneQuest. Well, it's like I think a number of the writers, it goes back a long way. I was 11. I was playing D&D. It was 1980, whatever it was. Suddenly, one day, I rolled up to a D&D session. And my mates would go, we're playing this. Rolled RuneQuest out. Very quickly, it became our game of choice. Probably over the next three, four years, well, five or six years. It was RQ2. It started off as D&D with a different system, and suddenly the RuneQuest and the Glorantha distinctives started to become more important in what we were doing and how we were enjoying the game. How did it differ to the D&D sessions that you were playing? Come on, the D&D sessions back then were kill monsters, grab treasure, gain experience points, uh, dungeon bashers. Our game started like that, but suddenly started to become more campaign-orientated, more character-orientated, more... It became more mature as we grew up. Our gaming mm-hmm. experience grew when we grew into RuneQuest. I think, being really honest, we played it at D&D for the first couple of years. But by the time we were 16, 17, 18, we were playing quite a rich Glorantham setting, playing quite rich characters, I think, as well. Was there a specific region in Glorantham that the campaigns hovered around, or did you go all over? Depending on the ref, the early ones were we kept doing uh, Borderlands, time and time again, getting to Adventure 4 and getting total party kill on it every time. Um, so, <laughs> or, yeah, again, jumping into Snake Pipe and getting absolutely hammered. And there were quite short episodes, and that was with a certain ref. As we moved on, I can remember having a great campaign in um, Pavis. One of my main PC from that actually appears in Rubble Runners. And then there was an absolutely gorgeous, probably my favourite campaign ever, one based up in Griffin Mountain. So it's the Pavis campaign and Griffin Mountain campaign that stood out back from those times. So it was, what, 16, 17, 18, when when we did those campaigns, and I felt really, really rich. Yeah. Now, my experience exactly mirrors that. So we had a big Pavis campaign that we played over two summers while we were at school, and then we had another DM takeover, and he took us up to Balazar which again was really, you could really feel the difference in, in the settings. It's quite amazing. Yeah, um, both very rich and very rich in, in different ways. I find that Davis was very highly defined, quite close to very urban. But one of the things I loved about Balazar was just the space. A great sense of space. Balazar and the Elder Wilds, it's not overly defined. And a lot of room for player agency. Mm-hmm. And also because it's a sandbox. So it's that both were player-driven campaigns, but one was quite urban and the other had this wonderful sense of space to it. So uh, the differential there in the two settings was, I think, really, really good. Yeah, they tie into this same theme, which was the way we played it then, more mature, more character-orientated storytelling. Yeah, that's um, that was my RQ experience. Which of the characters in Rubble Runners was uh, was yours? Talina. It, it was a really nice little campaign. It, the campaign was about a heavy street kid 
trying to cut it in a land called My Temple. And mm-hmm. this mixture between really bright street kid, Lambrill connections, trying to live and exist within the land called My Temple and to work that out and living in two worlds. We probably, I probably wouldn't have talked about the campaign in that way at that point in time, mm-hmm. looking back at it. So this character I've got in there as a, a, a backstreet evaluator, that's what she did. She, she went in, she learned the skills, and then she used it in a offhand kind of way. And there was a du- duality in the character, which I absolutely loved. But I think lots of characters from Rubble Runners reflect me. And looking at some of the further questions, we'll start to get into that. So that was my experience of RuneQuest. I'm going to kind of deviate a bit because I think some of my writing style comes of, comes from my other role-playing experiences. Because I said, we started off with D&D, got to 18, 19, and I stopped gaming. Basically, because the GM went off to uni, most of my mates went off to uni, didn't have anyone to game with for a few, few years, and my life changed. So probably for almost 10 years, did no gaming, very, very little gaming, a little bit of cyberpunk, hit my late 20s, went through a little bit of a life crisis, jumped back into gaming again. And at that point, it was loads of the White Wolf vampire stuff. It was the mid-90s, and it was gritty, but again, very character-orientated. And the chain from RuneQuest, where perhaps it was role characters to created characters, and crafting a character became that was really what, and storytelling was really what those systems emphasized. It wasn't, again, was in that for five years, life moves on, did other stuff, was involved in other things, dropped out for 10, 15 years. And again, with a little bit of a life challenge, I uh, suddenly stepped back into gaming, stepped back into my first love that was always RuneQuest and Glorantha. And then mm-hmm. I think I brought a load of that character crafting stuff and that story and narrative focus into the way that I do RuneQuest and into what I love and I enjoy in RuneQuest as well. Did you get back into RuneQuest 6 at all or did you rediscover it with the release of RQG? I looked at RuneQuest 6. That's too crunchy for me. Left it. I actually, still when I game, I don't use RuneQuest Glorantha or use it at cons. I write for it. I use the old World of Darkness system with Glorantha. Before the Johnstown Compendium came out, I wrote uh, I wrote extensively on a blog called Tabalazar that's mine, loads mm. of Griffin Mountain in there. And initially, it was systemless, and then it was using World of Darkness. When I'm doing my own stuff, I love to play. It just works better for my gaming style, that system. I think RQG is great. It's brilliant. They've achieved some really, really good stuff in this release. But when I'm gaming myself, I'm still using my own hybrid. There's just no point in writing in it. So what I might be showing a bit of naivety here, but what's World of Darkness? Is that another system? Yeah, it was the um, system in the 90s. So it was Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, all of that stuff coming out of White Wolf, the the storyteller system. Mm -hmm. It it falls somewhere between Hero Quest and Rune Quest in the terms of crunch. And I think I'm a more a Hero Quest type player. I just... The system didn't work for me. It was a little bit too loose. I think that system works for my style of gaming. And also all the mates know it. So when I'm trying to in- introduce Glorantha, the mates who played that for 10, 15 years, we jump into the system we know because it's very flexible, very easy. We all know it inside out and bang, back to front. And it makes sense to, to leave it as is and, and just layer over Glorantha to something you already know. But also it works for a gaming style. So... Uh, but at this point, as I'm starting to write and as I'm starting to want to be creative around Glorantha and I want to interact with the rest of the community, I've got to jump into role-playing Glorantha. They've done a really, really good job with it. It's a great system. 
might not work for me and my gaming group, but it's the common language we've all got at the moment. So if you're writing, that's what you write for. So it's interesting that your first JC, we'll get onto that a bit deeper later, I think. But so your first JC publication was Rubble Runners, centered around Pevis. But your blog, which is really, really awesome, is um, around Balazar. Are they on equal footings in terms of a favorite region? Or is there a reason why you kind of went away from Balazar and focused more on the um, Cracks region? At that point, it was a little bit of what's going to work with what's being published. And at that point, they were talking an awful lot about new Pavis, what was going to come out there. That supplement and went, right, I'll do something that's going to support what's being produced at the moment. Balazar, as far as I'm aware, there's nothing in the pipeline to, to de develop it for our, our Hugo Lorantha. And to get something that's standalone there is going to be a very, very big project. So doing something that was small, quite tight, and fitted in with what we thought at that point was going to be their publishing schedule. Uh, it seems to have dropped down the priority list and seems to be nowhere near as imminent now. But that was the reason for doing it. 2020 hindsight, doing the same in Sartar may have actually worked better, but we only work with the information you have at any particular time. I mean, I think you've got two really great niches there, because obviously the official publication for Sartar is, is going to be coming out at some stage. So that I would expect there to be a you know a wealth of information there, but to have fan or community written content, especially about Balazar, I think is um is a great idea. And you've done a really really awesome job on those new timelines; they're fantastic. So, is there any plans to release that into the JC, or are you just going to keep it on your own own blog? Yeah, I tend to test stuff up on uh, back back to Balazar. So I've worked out how I can pull. A lot of that stuff together into something for Griffin Mountain 2025. Bathers are 1625, sorry, not 20. <laughs> 2025. Uh, it'll be probably 2025 by the time yeah, schedule. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a plan out there where I'm looking at there were some concerns to tie the whole project together. I'd have to have to rework some stuff that was Chaosium's IP. And I was very wanted to be very careful about not really undermining what they're doing and republishing Chaosium stuff to pull the whole thing together. But with some chats with both Nick Brook and um, Jeff Mintz, we've um, we've worked out there what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So the barrier to getting the project going is no longer there. I've just got a couple of projects I want to finish off before, and uh, it's going to be a biggie. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. Hopefully, I can get onto it in Q1 next year. And with my rate of writing, probably Q1 the year after is absolutely earliest Balazar product for me. It's going to be a big project. I mean, one of our questions is normally, you know, what made you take the leap into writing for the JC? But I think in, in terms of your content, it's a bit of a redundant question because you have been writing the Back to Balazar blog for so long. Was it a very logical step to, to start writing for the JC? Yeah, there's something different about just throwing your own ideas up onto a blog and actually creating a book. You may notice if you read my writing, I find writing challenging. I'm dyslexic. It's hard work. It's slow. It's with typos. It's hard work. But I like to do things that I find, I find difficult. From that point of view, it was, oh, I've got an opportunity to publish. Also, paying hosting on the... Um, for the blog for 
for a, num for a number of years cost me a fair bit. So it's nice to get to be able to get some money back. You don't you don't yeah. make a lot, PC, but it's it's better to earn a little than it is to cost you a li little to publish. I mean, there's not many people that even make beer money from you know doing something that they're passionate about. So it's it's a great opportunity. You know, it's something from my perspective anyway that that I do <laughs> in my spare time and to be essentially paid to do that is pretty special yeah it's a hobby it's a privilege if i get the balazar thing together and it's done it's published and i'm able to bring balazar up to the 1625 timeline and drop all the new stuff in that's an absolute privilege um mm. grit, grit mountain to my view was absolutely fundamentally brilliant it was pivotal in the development of role-playing games in the 80s. It was light years ahead of its time. And to actually write something that builds on that, you're walking in the footsteps of giants. And um, it's not only privileged to be doing this, the work that um, Greg and the other guys did that we can get to join in, it's an absolute privilege. I was doing it when we weren't getting any cash for it. And to be able to <laughs> do that and to have the freedom we've got Calcium have been absolutely awesome. This has really, really supported release of RuneQuest Glorantha. And when they were struggling to get enough stuff out, I think it's really benefited the hobby and given it a boost and supported Chaosium. But it's an switching it round, it's an awesome privilege for us. And I think it's one of these win-win situations in life and uh, just love it. Yeah. The quality of the stuff that's coming out in the JC, you can't really fault any of the publications I think that have come out to date. They've all been really, really top quality. They have. Uh, I think as I've watched other stuff come out, I feel that the bar's been lifted. It's been raised in all aspects. The quality of the writing, the quality of the, the artwork, design, all of those elements, the bar's generally got higher and higher. And also the mm. complexity of a, lot, of a lot of the publications. There's some absolutely excellent stuff on there. The bar keeps getting higher and higher and gets a little bit more intimidating with every uh, publication that comes out. <laughs> yeah, it does. For those people that haven't purchased Rubble Runners, can you tell us a little bit about the publication? It's a collection of 15, I think, deeply written characters with about 250 words of description and background for each of them. Then pushed into that, we've got five or six supporting characters briefly described and then between four and five, either scenario, adventure hooks, or just small encounters with these characters that allow refs to just drop these NPCs into the game. I've designed the 15 that about five of them would make really, really great off-the-cuff characters and pregens. So we've got five pregens and then 10 that are really only particularly NPCs orientated. Some are colour characters, some will drive plot, some will make, I think, will make really, really interesting, uh, really interesting encounters and could actually drive the game forward significantly. So there's a mix of stuff in there. And I like to create things that are a bit of a smorgasbord for the ref. So, yeah, here's a colour character, here's a free gen, or we can do something nice and plot orientated with this one. This one's going to drive the game. So there's about, I try to go about a third each with each of them. I actually wrote about 30. And then Rubble Runners version one is the 15 that I thought were the best. Rubble Runners version two is five or 10 that should have made it and didn't, and have thrown five out and have written writing five new ones to get the same standard again. What made them go to the to the junk pile? I, I just thought 
they're lacking inspiration. They were a bit flat. They were too similar to the others. They didn't have any distinctives to them. I didn't. I saw them as space fillers. And if I can't get excited about writing it up, somebody else can't get excited about reading it. So yeah. if, it, if I don't get excited in the writing or excited about the possibilities that I feel this character brings to the game, it's not getting in. What's your process of writing them? Do you have a kind of rough guidebook with a couple of hooks or a couple of character beat points and then build on from there? Or do you just do one at a time and write the full thing? I will generally get the idea. Sometimes it's quite personal. There's a few characters in there that are exaggerated aspects of myself. So I've taken elements of myself or elements of my story, turned it into a character and exaggerated it. Um, the things that I've just nicked, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there's characters in there. The Lunar Deserter, who, the, whose name slipped my mind at the moment, that concept was nicked from Shane. And the... Mm -hmm warrior who wants to be peace and find his place and just can't fit in where, the, where he is and violence comes to find him. That storyline was taken from Shane and I just glorantonized it. Uh, there's a humanity in there that was nicked from cold eyes from the good, the black, bad and the ugly. So there's some that have just gone, particularly Westerns, have gone into the Western genre and nicked a couple of characters and glorantonized them. I'll add a twist. I'll do something to make them a bit different. But anybody who with any idea will go, yeah, I see where that one's come from. So there's three or four from there. Sometimes I'll read something and go, actually, I can make it, yeah, I can make a character from that. Bertha and Gilly, that character, actually was reading up on the way women were treated after in France after the Second World War, particularly women who'd been collaborators. And that went, oh, that's an issue I want to say something about. That's an issue I want to be able to bring in games. There's this theme around Pavis after Argarath com comes back in. It's a city recovering from war. And I thought mm. that was a theme that I could bring in. But I went, actually, how does this make the city different? What does this change? What? How can we use gaming to reflect things that do and have happened in our world to actually say something? So that's a character that pushes in on a particular issue, and then you try and humanise it. You try and make that experience, that thing that's happened, that thing that's been in the world, wrap it into a person and the person's experience. And... Yeah, we game for lots of different reasons, and there's lots of different styles of gaming. But actually, facing issues and facing things that happen in the world, I like a little bit of that in the game now and again. All the time, no, but now and again, I think it can be interesting. Yeah, it can be uh, very fun therapy. Yeah, um, and then there's just, I'm just looking through them. One came from finding my art. My art created the picture. I looked at a picture and went, that's brilliant. I've got to use that picture. Then Rise wrote the character to justify the picture. That's the difference. So Toro uh, Zibate is the old rubble elder. I just got a picture that I absolutely loved and said, right, who would he be in Pavis? And then the picture started to create that story. So as I started to look for my art, it actually created a, a different character. So it actually you know, changed from time to time. And you've got very distinctive artwork in, in the publication, which I'd be interested to hear about. So one of the big issues that a lot of a lot of authors are facing is getting good art. So maybe you can tell us a bit about your process of, of getting those portraits together. Um, yeah, I'm not that good a drawer. I wasn't sure how many was going to sell. It's quite a well-priced publication, so I don't have massive budgets. And I just had no art budget, no time and very limited artistic talent set. 
So what I did was I went online, I found um, royalty-free photographs that um, were available, and I selected ones that weren't of this time, that were timeless and ageless. Mm -hmm. Then just used some um, online photo-to-pencil drawing conversion tool. I to use images and then digitally manipulated them very easily, and I think I've got about 70. So I've got all the stuff, Royal Runners 2, except the trolls. There's a couple of bits of the artwork where I actually felt I compromised. I went, do you know what? I've not got something that hits this person. I've got something that's good enough. But there's other places where I'm looking at Wassy um, Spirit Caller, who's one of the characters I'm really, really happy with. That was real. I just got this image and said, got to use that. Who would this person be? And then this idea starts to form. And that they, so they tend to be some of the more creative characters. And probably my favourite of the lot, which is Car the Prophet, that came out of the picture. I just found a picture. I've absolutely got to use him. Who is he in Galantha? What is it about him? What's distinctive in the picture? At what point, how does that become distinctive within the character? So yes, think, thinking about it, probably a third of these led picture first. So it's almost the picture was the, the spark of the character, basically, and then the, the story built around the image. It did, but you then bring other elements, because... Carr's probably the most autobiographical character. He takes two different elements of my life, exaggerates them completely, and then they just throw them together in, the, in this character. So there's lots of different influences, but yes, the art often drove the process. I think that's actually quite interesting. I'd never realised that before till you start to sit down and talk about it. Um, yeah, I love the, the, um, that Prophet is, is one of my favourites as well, especially the Associates. I think is fleshed out really nicely. Um, I definitely want to see an image of um, of darkness, his surly Morikel's bodyguard. Yeah, again, I'm going to need a hot budget for that. So, um, yeah, I'm actually going to have to spend art budget on volume two because I've got a troll and a trollkin I need I need pictures for. So, if there's anybody in the JC art budding artists who want to do a troll and a trollkin picture for me in a similar style, yeah, you know where to get in touch with me. In fact. My next publication, we're playing around with a lot of trolls at the moment. It's essentially um, the follow-up to Legion is going to be based around trolls and taking inspiration from the troll pack Sazdorf tribe yeah. document. So, yeah, it should be should be fun. Lots of sketching of trolls going on at the moment. Yeah. Have you... Which are a little bit different to brew. Have you ever bounced through the older sections of the Back to Balazar site? A lot of troll stuff on there that's one of my far future projects which was uh, trolls of the elder wilds but lots of different troll encounter and troll encounter ideas on there that's where i started with on back to balazar trolls of the elder wilds because they're just there's half a million of them and they're hardly defined you know there's i loved griffin mountain i'm playing for it but one of the things was got our ass kicked by that Zarak Zaran war party just too many times. We didn't meet another thing controller. Yeah, there's half a million of them, but the same Zarak Zaran war party just followed us around and walked our ass. Not like every other week. <laughs> yeah, they can be pretty formidable. Yeah, so My favourite was the Gondor Holst caravan. That was the one that always got us. Uh, no. Now, we were kind of prepped for that. We yeah, we wiped them out quite quickly, and that was a, that was a very in our campaign that was that we quite. But the bloody Zarek Zarantel trolls, nighttime camping, nighttime attack, and we basically wake up fighting deceit, run for our lives, 
and it happened four or five times. Waddle Greenback, the Zoran Duck, got squashed by them. Yeah, they were the bane of our life in the uh, old Griffin Mountain campaign. The feeling was you need more variation in trolls, uh, troll encounters. So there's loads of stuff there. Mm. Stuff there. Feel free to nick, steal, take, take inspiration. So in doing the um, the Rubble Runners publication, was there any specific element of it that you struggled with? I mean, obviously the art you said was shoestring and done really effectively. Was there anything else? Um, yeah, writing. I'm dyslexic. It's it's really hard for me to write. So that takes time. My editor had so much patience. I'm very heavily edited. Suzanne, who did the writing at the time, she was off work at the time and she still probably took her two or three weeks to go through and give it a good edit strong support on on the editing i found the layout difficult but i got around it using word uh, using an old version of word mm -hmm. um but i think rubble runners 2 will be on word and then after that i'm gonna have to move to a new design platform for some of the other publications i've just worked out that this week uh well a couple of weeks ago Using an older version of Word made the PDF conversion really, really hard and really, really unwieldy. So I've actually used my Word PC, mm. used the new version of Word, and halved the size of all of my files, which was just an absolute godsend. If you do use Word, really make sure you've got the most up-to-date version, because suddenly I'm willing to consider using Word again than um, one of the other design platforms. Um, I think if you've got a reasonably simple product, it can work. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely one of the struggles, for sure. So I didn't find any of it easy. The inspiration comes easily. Working the inspiration out into a product, the writing's tough. The artwork wasn't that tough once I'd had the idea and once I worked out with the right editing, you can make contemporary pictures work. Actually really mm -hmm. part of the process. And the layout took a little bit of time. Going back to it, there's a few bits and bobs that do different around spacing and going to have to look at that at volume two. There's some things that I did, did on my site that I want to bring back into it, which is the three or four words to describe a character. So you've got their personality. That's going to be in version two. And I might retrofit it into version one. because I think that really suddenly ago, yeah, character described as quirky, loud, obnoxious and quick-witted just got a sense of him in four, mm -hmm. four words. So you browse the personality and it allows for paradoxes within characters and tensions within characters, which I absolutely love. I like my characters to be three-dimensional, three not two-dimensional. There's a few things I'm going to learn from it as well. So version two, going to be some slight improvements and hopefully I'm able to bring all the characters up to the same level as they are in, in uh, issue one. And, and that, I suppose, is one of the other benefits to the JC is that you can, you know, it's not not a printed publication that once it's done and it's out, you can't actually make any changes to it. But we've seen a couple of other products get a redux. And with Legion, we've added stuff as we've gone along. We've added artwork, added scenarios. That's a bonus that I didn't see coming, basically. It is, but it's a bonus and it's a curse. I want version one to be finished and I want to move on to new stuff. I don't want to be constantly fiddling with, uh, with what I've done. I think what I've done stands up. Yeah, I'd like to nail a few more on the typos and improve the layouts in bits and places. And yeah, if we can get something that's very, very quick, but I don't want to be working on it. I've got loads of creative ideas. I want to be moving, moving those on. There's so much we could do. 
one absolutely massive project I've got out there, a couple of smaller ones, and it's been 12 months since I published, so I'm just wanting to move stuff on a bit. Yeah, I said that earlier. I couldn't believe because it was one of the first ones, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was there were only a few. It was January last year, or this year. So it's almost 12 months now. It was nice to be there in the early days, and it's nice to see how much stuff stuff's gone on. And COVID has been a pain in the backside for us all. I think in terms of um, Johnstown Compendium publications and the amount of stuff that's been written and brought out and the amount of time people have had to put onto this, it's been absolutely brilliant. However, I've been um, been working all the way through it. I've not missed a single day of work with COVID. I'm now moved to looking after my kids half the time through lockdown, so it really hit the amount of time I, I had to write. I've slowed down, but loads of other people got so much good stuff out. So with all the difficulties and painfulness with it, I actually think um, for AC and RuneQuest, it's actually been a good thing. And have you had much response from the people that have purchased the um, the publication? It's always good to hear that people have used particular aspects of your work in their own campaigns. Have you heard any good stories from that? Not yet, and I'd love to. Uh, if, if you think we've published it and we've been into COVID, my um, online gaming doesn't happen. I've not been at meets. I've not even met the local role-playing group in the last nine months. So that interaction to get that feedback I've not had, but I'd love to. It'll, yeah, I think it's a really nice selection of characters, and if people use them, I'd really, really like to know how, how they went down in people's games. Or you know, if you use this character as a pre-gen, come back to me and tell me how, the, how you like it. I think that encouragement does us all good. Yeah, um, it's nice to have it out there. It's got a nice set of reviews. Um, yeah, I still want to find the person who only gave me four stars. There was one of them. <laughs> yeah, so it's been well received, but there's just not been the level of interaction this year to get get that chat about it. Uh, mm. But it's really nice that that the feedback you've given me today, because that's actually been some of the most the most direct. Ten reviews and four point eight. I'm happy with that. And so would you have any advice to anybody that was thinking or sitting on the fence about writing for the JC? First thing, do it. You'll never regret doing it. You might regret not doing it. Do something that you're going to enjoy. Don't think of it as a way into gaming or get way into wifing or a career move or something you're going to make money from. If you <laughs> love writing for RuneQuest, do it. If you don't love writing for RuneQuest and creating stuff, don't do it. And it's just the joy of writing. It's the joy of being creative. It's the joy of... Yeah, just letting that piece of you out. I'm a, I work in marketing. I've got a life that's quite doesn't have that creative outlet. But this is a point of this is a point of escapism for me. I can go in, I can write, I can create, and I can see an end product for it. And in doing that, it's absolutely brilliant. So do it, do it for the right reason because you enjoy and love creating stuff for RuneQuest and Glorantha. Start off with a manageable project. I think one of the best things I did was I halving the length of Rubble Runners and making it two volumes. One, in your first publication, you get to learn all of the things that you shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. You make lots of mistakes. And in trying to make the first thing you get out the door overly ambitious, I think there's a good chance that nothing will come out the door. Yeah, if you've got a mountain that's impossible to climb and you're just looking up at it, it's much easier to... To, to have a bit of a hike first, see how you feel, but still keep your eye on that big project. But you're right, get something out there. Um, and then even just a potential, like a minor bit of revenue stream as well. Yeah, but you, I saw Nick do this. He demoed a couple of little bits first, worked out what he wanted to do differently, and then 
it aided his process for getting his larger things out. And I'm going to do the same. Before before I attempt my Banazar stuff, I've got three projects to get out the door. It'll be my fourth project. I'd have learned from stuff. I'd have made mistakes. I'd have worked out what's easy and what's hard. And then I try my big project. That's something that I'd say. Do something that's less than 20 pages for your first one. Get it out there. Get it done. Give yourself the morale boost of seeing something that exists that people are willing to pay for that you've done that's going to give you the confidence to take on the big project. Don't be too ambitious. Quality over quantity. I don't think I'd have got my, the reviews that I've got for Rubble Runners if I'd released all, waited and released all 30 characters because the, the average quality of them would have dropped. Even looking at the stuff that I've now got in Rubble Rubbers 2, I'm still looking to cut two or three and replace them with better. And I think if I'd released 30 where 15 of them were great, and were okay on five were pad that would have been nowhere near as well received and therefore i think doing something small that's of high quality starts to build a little bit of reputation for you as well i know everybody who gave gave me a good review for rubble runners one will be coming back for rubble runners two and some trust between the people in community and the author is developed by it so yeah do it do it for the right reasons be too ambitious and don't be scared of trying failing and learning and coming back and actually asking questions so many things that i didn't know how to do ask people nick's a brilliant help um and there's other people in the community one thing i've learned i've now got sensitivity readers i'm not that type of person i don't try and be an ass but i'm not all overly switched on to all of these issues and therefore give it to somebody else and say actually not happy about that not happy about that what do you think of that take challenges on board be willing to back the challenges back because it's still your publication mm -hmm. having somebody who has a different perception of yours i think if there's one area of controversy that there is been around the jc and one area where calcium won't tolerate is stuff that's considered highly, highly offensive so I think getting some sensitivity readers, getting some people to look at things the other way, making sure our hobby is open, accessible, and non-intimidating to everybody, that's a brilliant thing. And if it just takes some, a couple of other people reading, reading through it going, think about that, think about that, have you thought about that? Even if you don't decide to pick up on it, you've had that second look before stuff gets published. So one of the questions that we often ask our guests is if you had unlimited time and budget, what would be the project that you'd undertake? Our sixteen twenty-five project, and it's three projects away. It, yeah, it's starting to be mapped out, and I'm going to do it. Might take me two years to do it, but I'm going to do it. And if Johnstown Compendium is still up and running at that point, which you can see, no reason why it wouldn't be. So. I'm going to do what I really, really want to do, which is half the fun of doing Johnstown Compendium. Because that you saying that actually just filled me with fear. I didn't realise how it, just the thought of not being able to write and get it out there to the wider community would be disastrous. So yeah, I, I hope you're right and it does stick around for a long time. I think it's one of those mutually beneficial things where I think it's, really helped Chaosium out as they've struggled to get as much product out as quickly as they want. So I can see a massive benefit for them. 
uh, and it pushes the game and it supports the gaming community and it keeps that community feel around yeah it really does quest it gives them opportunities to see what writers can and can't do without having with giving them an opportunity to be published it gives us a chance to do what we dream of doing sometimes so i can't see any reason it won't exist in two years time but to a certain extent this is a remarkable opportunity we've got and whilst we've got it let's use it yeah for sure let's get them badges so yeah it's a really privileged position where you say what project do you want to do and say it's that one i'm going to do in about starting it in about three to six months time i've got volume two to get out of the way i've just finished the manuscript on something to do which is a much deeper look at chaotic features so hundreds of chaotic features ideas uh not tables i don't like tables i like ideas to give to ref so it's just a book of different chaotic features ideas approaches some deviations from this some completely new ideas so hopefully seeing as that manuscript's literally finished last night that can start to go into a edit process and then start to go into layout and get that out the door and then volume two to get those done in the first hopefully those this q1 next year movement goes on to the project i'm going to love to do which is balazar 1625 and have you got much of that mapped out in terms of the sort of the structure or is it all just in your head at the moment? I've got half of it on Back to Balazar. A lot of it's going to be rewrites of, of Back to Balazar stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got particular layouts of certain clans. I'm going to put a new approach to spirit cults in there and and some examples. So spirit cults that give you, give you obscure spirit magics, obscure spirit magics of Balazar, three clans, Loads of NPCs that have mapped out for Balazar. I'm actually going to pull some of the characters out from our own Balazar campaign and what they've been up to. They're very definitely in the timeline. Uh, so they'll be down as the Red Rock Clan and some old characters, hopefully given the treatment so they're there to aid other people's games and not to be the whole supplements about them. Something on dogs of Balazar. Let, you know, let's have a look at dogs and dog brother, what it's like mm. to be a hunter. Um, the timelines and the rewrites of the Citadels, what certain characters have been up to in the last eight years. Lots of the original ideas are in, yeah, are up on the site at the moment. So Elkoy's you know, destroyed itself and gone through massive change. Trithis is stable. Dykeen's become a paranoid Yomalio dictatorship with um, <laughs> before starting to start starting to lose the plot a bit and being threatened by all these things that are going on and we take taking a very conservative reaction so actually some greater variation in there uh i think i've got that much stuff that and it's balazar first and i'm going to keep all of my elder wild stuff for maybe a project after that one i oh, so you wouldn't be tying it into the to that project as we keep it separate see how much i've got i want to keep the project below 120 pages all oh. right and then I think if I'm going into the Elder Wilds, thinking about it this morning, I'm going, I could do an Elder Wilds Trolls book. You know, there's so much in the Elder Wilds. We've got an area the size of Wales and there's so, there's so little in it. There's so much room to document stuff and do ideas. I think if I pull my troll stuff together, that could make a supplement in its own right. So I'm going, do I try and make something that's that big that I'll, it'll never get done? Or do I try and detail things? Yeah, just split and then that way you can be working on the skeleton of one while you're finishing the other one. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And um, 
I think there's really good stuff. And I don't want to make the projects too big because I don't want to either compromise too much on quality because I think the quality on JC's got better and better. So I think that's a long answer to quite a short question. So it is a tricky one, isn't it? Because I've got so a campaign that I've been writing, and in fact, the last two books have both been offshoot side projects coming out of the bigger campaign. And I'm still weighing up whether I do a John Webb and split it into three chapters, or I just sit on it and build it into one massive publication. I'm still I'm still undecided at the moment. But I take on board what you're saying about m- making them into bite-sized chunks for sure. And I think it's actually making them into bite-sized ch- chunks for purchases as well. Mm. You've published something already, so people know what they're going to get from you. But if you're taking a risk on something, a $5 download for a small thing, yeah. that's a risk you wouldn't take. If you're paying $30 for something because it's a large publication, that's a risk. And to a new writer or an unknown writer, people might not take the risk. Out that foot in the door, open the door with a small thing. Oh, definitely. I think, I'll say it. Um, I think a cult book of trying to cover all the cults in Glorantha is, is the only way to get hold of full-size cults is a massive mistake. I don't know about you, but the book that sold me, RuneQuest, was Cults of Prax. And it was the book that, it was a book that every player bought. Refs buy supplements. I've always been a player more than a ref. So I've not GM'd, I've played. And I, you know, I know every player owned the RuneQuest 2 Rune book and Cults of Prax. It's what got us into Glorantha. It's what immersed ourselves in it. And for our cults book to become a 150 cults, two volume, £100 plus thing to get your hands on, hides the gems of Glorantha away from players. It will be one person has it, not every player has it. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes doing too much can limit people's access to things. So again, I'm coming down to bite-sized chunks. So our final question then is, to which runes or deity would you commit yourself? Right. I take it we're talking within the rune quest context here. I'm just going to say, before, I've got to put a caveat beyond this. I'm a, yeah, I'm a really strong Christian, so yeah, my real-world answer is one thing. Um, Fantasyland? All land, of course. I, um, I love his hubris. I love his immediacy. I love his stupidity. I love his flawedness and his passion, and it reflects me. An awful lot. I'm just a natural old Amphi. And uh, so from a god and a deity, my favourite character, my historical character was an Orlanthi. It just naturally comes to me. The runes don't fit. Um, So probably thinking about it, disorder, truth, fate. If it, yeah, the three rooms of John are disorder, truth, and fate, which is a really mixed up solution. But uh, and yours, I've got the the tattoo all planned out actually, which is um, so I'm a big surfer over here, obviously in yeah. Perth. So to have the um, water movement and mastery runes would be would be awesome. Awesome, yeah, I get that. Fantastic. All right, well, thanks very much for your time, John. It's been really fantastic. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Yeah. It's been an absolute blast. Brilliant. And then when uh, the new Balazar book comes out, we'll get you on again. Absolutely. So that's going to be a little while. <laughs> Hurry up. I want it. Um, have a browse on Back to Balazar. I'll do the plug, www.backtobalazar.com. Half of the stuff's on there already. It's going to be better. It's going to be polished. Some of it's going to be rewritten because I look at it and go, I can do better now. But there's loads of stuff up there already, and uh, you can see what's coming. Excellent. Thanks very much, John. 
Thanks for listening to Tales from the Black Alex. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or rating on iTunes or your podcast software of choice. Or if you really liked it, you can support us via Patreon. You can contact us with questions and interview requests via our Facebook page, facebook.com slash groups slash The Project, or email us at theroomquestproject at gmail.com.